Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Weirdology podcast. My name is Kenneth. And I'm Mikkel. And today we'll be talking about panspermia. Yes. But before we start, if you've listened to the past two episodes, you've heard our title melody, which was actually made just after the previous episode that we did. And I'm just going to quickly introduce who made it. It is an old dear friend of mine called Yannick, and he's a sound and music composer. There's a little bit more introduction to him on our website, which you can find in our description. We'll link to it there. And he's a sound and music composer, and we basically just wrote to him just after the episode, and we said, like, okay, can you make this this cool little title melody? It doesn't have to be very long, and it has to be sort of like epic, sort of X-Files, all that sort of stuff. And then he just, two hours later, he threw that out, and, and we were just amazed. So I hope you enjoyed. It's going to be played very soon. So anyways, Kenneth, what is it, um, what is the, the sort of theme today? Can we... Yeah, the theme is, uh, it's panspermia and alien life to boil it down. It's uh, how did life start? Uh, how did it start on earth? How what are some of the theories? How's, how does it spread? Yeah, yeah, does it spread to other planets? Exactly. <laughs> uh, stuff like that. So it's going to be a bit different than what we've talked about the last couple of times because where, where? this is going to be uh, uh, you know outside the body way outside and the last two were inside our heads doing dreaming and as we discussed uh, the last two topics have been pretty much in the bed now we're outside of the bed and going into space for for once <laughs> yeah from one side to the other uh, but that's great because that's that's kind of what we want to do uh, you know explore the entire spectrum of the weirdology universe. Uh, hopefully, people will find it as interesting as we do. Uh, otherwise, I hope they'll listen to the episodes that they find interesting. Uh, we should mention uh, actually our Twitter uh, account once again uh, at Weirdology Podcast. For anyone who P wants to, is the yeah, Weirdology P because we can't get uh, as long as a handle as we'd like. Yeah. <laughs> So weirdology P is our Twitter handle. Exactly. Um, so will yeah, feel today be? To yeah. Will today be weird? It will be weird. Uh, I hope so. It will be interesting, and we will fall down so many rabbit holes. Uh, so it's probably going to be a long podcast, but it'll also maybe open up some doors for future subjects. All right. Today's topic is panspermia, which is a term that describes the life traveling from one plan planet to another, uh, seeding life. So an, an organism travels through space to another planet, starting life on that planet. That is panspermia. 
but there are actually different kinds of panspermia when you uh, start digging into it. And um, three different types. There's uh, what's called naturalistic panspermia, uh, there's something called directed panspermia, and then there's something called intelligent design panspermia. I'll just quickly go through what they are, but we'll be focusing on the first one. Naturalistic panspermia is simply where life evolves on another plan planet and naturally gets ejected off the planet and then come to rest on, for example, Earth. Directed panspermia includes intelligent life um, that intentionally seeds other planets with. Uh, the life that they want, uh, their own form of life. Uh, if we were to do it, it would be us seeding human life on other planets. Uh, and then there's intelligent design panspermia, where intelligent beings from another planet came, for example, to Earth and designed life here, not in their own uh, likeness, but as a science experiment, seeing if they could make life that was different than their own. But we're focusing on the first one, which is naturalistic panspermia, which is a bit more sciencey and uh, down to earth, to use the term. <laughs> <laughs> it is theorized anyway that, uh, especially Mars, is of interest in this subject because Mars is our closest neighbor. They look, uh, they have a very thin atmosphere. We've been looking for life up there. There is. Uh, enough water on Mars to uh, sustain life. And there's also an idea that uh, Earth and life has been exchanging uh, bodily fluids, if you can say that, um, for eons. Don't because every time, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, every time a, a huge meteorite uh, hits either uh, Mars or the Earth, a lot of material is blasted into space and some of it will hit the other planet uh, at some point. And as we found out, as humans, a lot of microbial and bacterial life can actually live in the void of space, in the vacuum of space. Uh, we've seen it outside and experiments outside the International Space Station. So what is your uh, thoughts on this, Mikkel? Could life have started on Mars, uh, our life? Hmm. I um, well, if you're asking if it could, I I think yeah, sure. It it probably could. your very professional opinion as someone who has done my very very little. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm a known scientist in the fields of panspermia. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, well, I I think it's possible that that it could travel. Uh, as you mentioned, there is also the ideas, of course, of this whole the unnatural panspermia right where people actually uh, create life etc um yeah there's i've i've read lots of theories and none of them are really really based on any facts like oh well they are based on some facts but it's not hard evidence that we can say okay th this is how it happened of course but there's lots of theories out there and i think it's very interesting but how exactly it happened and and to a certainty i have no idea really uh, i have some theories of my own of how it, life on earth might have happened and but let's not get into that now we can always take that later <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Uh, well, Mars is interesting because of you know there there is this atmosphere and Mars Mars has a very violent past uh, with a huge meteor strike that uh, lopped off a, a huge part of the planet, creating the two moons Phobos and Deimos, which uh, they're not round as our moon because they're not formed naturally; they're more like pieces of uh, debris just floating around, and an, an impact of that size would of course have burned away most of the atmosphere or all of the atmosphere which is just then maybe slowly coming back now um, and some of uh, the debris that would have been shot into space with a hit like that could easily have traveled to earth um, but the theories there, there are theories for and against and of course either you have to look at it like all life on earth came from mars or you have to look added like none of it came to mars uh, came from mars if it if you look at a naturalistic panspermia anyway because the genomes uh, of every species on this planet even are so close together that 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 couldn't have happened if half of that life came from another planet um, and not only is it is it is uh, the genomes close but they are also have the same ancestor, which is the most important thing. So either everything came from Mars or nothing came from Mars, if you have to look at the genetics of it. Yeah, okay, that that is pretty interesting. I, I did hear some theories about, uh, or no, maybe not theories, what was it? That was also from Kurzgesagt. And if you don't know Kurzgesagt, it's this uh, YouTube channel. Really, really great for all sorts of science related topics and they make these beautiful graphics but they they explained this uh, idea of how life sort of starts where microbes would sort of evolve and then how the more advanced life would evolve would be that you had like hunter microbes that would then eat the more what we call them plant microbes that they would eat like uh, elements around them and then the the element microbe, the the plant microbe, let's call it that, would actually sort of go into symbiosis with the hunter microbe. So we're talking like cells here, and they sort of merge together and, and make, this, make this sort of uh, symbiosis where they actually work together. So the element microbe actually adds a new feature to the hunter microbe, giving it energy when the hunter microbe consumes certain elements and it's it's crazy it's a really really great idea that sort of life evolves by combining and then using symbiosis or yeah yeah and also if as soon as you get you know a predator species you kind of speed up evolution because that kind of the the prey species so to say the uh, mutations in their genes becomes more important now because the the predator species will eat the ones uh, the, the prey species that are easiest to catch and that are easiest to you know can't defend themselves so if if suddenly some of the the prey species started evolving spikes yeah then they would be harder to consume without getting damaged so therefore they would live longer and you know yeah. have a bigger chance of continuing to exist and of course 
the predators would have to evolve and the ones that could counteract the spikes and suddenly evolution would happen uh, faster than just you know being in the same pool of mud waiting for stuff to happen yeah <clears throat> there is actually but that that's again way out like on on what we would call fringe science there are scientists who've looked into this sort of theory I can't remember exactly what it's called. Something like epi epigenetics. It's like over genetics, some sort of that stuff. And they they've talked about that because oftentimes when we talk evolution and uh, and, and Darwin like uh, would evolve from uh, life form to life form, and, and it would just be a random mutation that would suddenly happen. Suddenly, suddenly some fish would have wings, like and they would yeah. fly, right? And that. I think at least to me and probably a lot of people have this like where when does that come like what what happens is it, is it the egg or the chicken that comes first like how does it just jump from one thing to another and this epigenetic theory actually goes like it's it's not necessarily random it is sort of connected to this idea that we actually adapt so in some way a life form is just not tossed out there and said okay maybe you survive maybe you don't so maybe you're lucky and you just got the right mutation but there might actually be something in that organism that actually makes it adapt to that environment so just like the organisms within it might actually start changing around to actually adapt to the environment and i think that's that's likely it's not something as i understand it that we have pure facts or like pure evidence of yet but there is some great idea to it i think yeah yeah maybe we need to you know to get the the definitions <laughs> in entirely straight yeah <laughs> because uh if, if we take darwinism as an evolutionary theory it's not uh, it's not something that just happens of course the mutations exactly. just happen but but it's not like uh, my son will be born with wings exactly it's, yeah it, it's it's small changes like um if I live in uh, in Scandinavia, and uh, every every human being has ancestors in Africa, so the first human beings leaving Africa will also be dark skinned. But if you're dark skinned a society living in Scandinavia, where there's winters with frost, the lighter the complexion, the bigger the chance you have for getting food because you can camouflage yourself easier in snowy environments if you have a light complexion. Yes. Uh, you can hide from prey and you can you can be a better hunter. Yeah. So over time, slowly the, the skin tone will become lighter and lighter and lighter. And also because we, the evolutionary advantage of having dark skin in a sun uh, full environment is gone. Yeah. So. Plus there's and, the, and the light skin. With yeah. light skin, you actually subtract more um, sunlight, which is why, for example, Scandinavians we're more susceptible to to sunlight. But that also is because we don't get a lot of sunlight. Um, yeah. So we need more. So we need to actually be able to absorb more. But I think yeah. what this whole epigenetics theory goes yeah, well that, from is that, that it's not like not suddenly random someone would get slightly lighter skin. It would actually sort of be something within them that actually starts changing and it may still be gradual uh, as it seems yeah but that there's two things here there are species with which i've never heard epigenetics but it seems like it's 
what's called uh, genetic memory. Uh, and some species does have this. Uh, there are some species of worms that can learn skills and then pass it down. Yeah. But it, it was... genetically, we, we can't learn skills. Uh, most animals don't have that ability. Uh, your body generates tissue when you need tissue. So that's why if you see people that are bricklayers their entire life, they usually have huge hands because their hands grow. Hmm. But their yeah. kids don't are not born with huge hands because... No, no, exactly. Yeah. That, that is also so, adaptability in, in a sense, right? Yeah. So, but actually there was, uh, at the time of Darwin, there was actually a competing theory about this, which sounds like uh, epigenetics or genetic memory, where um, the, the theory was that uh, giraffes uh, would like to eat the, bla the leaves on the top of the trees. So they stretched their neck to get up there. And as they stretched their neck, they got longer and longer. And then their kids were born with long necks. And that sounds a little bit like epigenetics. Yeah, no, um, no that's that, that's not the same. No, I, okay. I'm not fully into epigenetics, but that is definitely not what epigenetics is about. Um, okay. So yeah, it's it's more like, I think, as I understand epigenetics, the very little I understand it, it's only the top of the iceberg. I've looked into it. But it would be more like the sort of like placebo effect or something like that, or together with like, we can actually, that's also why I say it's, it's sort of on the fringe, right? Because it's still out there where we're only starting to see things that might actually say that there is something to the way we think that actually can alter uh, our body. So for example, placebo, placebo has been known for quite a long time and we don't, as I understand, we don't quite understand what it is. It's just the same with consciousness. No one really knows what consciousness is or we don't have evidence for it. There are lots of theories, but that's what they are. They're just theories. We, we don't have concrete evidence like, oh, uh, consciousness is uh, these signals in this part of the brain. That is not proven. That is just, again, theories. We have lots of theories and there's, yeah. So I think it's, it's, it's sort of borders on that idea that we can actually mm -hmm. alter based on our mindset. But again, I'm not stating that listeners out there don't like take the message <laughs> for what it is and, and make of it what you want it to be, because that's that's the most important. This is just what I've heard around. And I think it's fascinating. And yeah, I, I did a quick uh, Wikipedia search for epigenetics. And the definition seems to be something like uh, hereditary changes uh, to the genes without altering the DNA sequence. Um, I'm not uh, qualified to speak about that. Uh, <laughs> no, no, but, but, but you uh, can have opinions, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and so that's... I don't know it, it when when you when we lay it out in scientific terms and. Uh, you try to explain it and, and you know read what it is there could be something to this in my untrained uh, scientific mind but um I, I just can't wrap my head around how you know you can change the genes without changing the dna yeah uh, yeah no i i don't understand how that would work either but no, i always have this uh, there's i can't remember which one it was but there was this um greek philosopher who basically said like um 
a learned man or like a wise man knows or is able to know something without knowing it for certain like they, they can actually know of a theory without accepting it as the truth so they they can like yeah. go between and not decide on what is uh, fact and what is fiction they're just like constantly evaluating the things they know yeah I, I think that's that's a healthy way to go about it like anytime you yeah. get anything like okay that's an interesting theory let's look into it let's not deny let's not confirm until we can mm. confirm it's it's always yeah. the black swan you know the black swan right no okay <laughs> i just quickly uh black swan is, <laughs> is seriously used when we talk statistics etc I, I remember having it about it in uh in our statistics course at university and it is the idea that first off the europeans were like okay all swans are white and that makes sense because all the swans we could ever see and observe were white so it would be natural to get to that conclusion however that changed when we got to australia because in australia they actually have black swans so it's the sort of idea that you couldn't at that time state like all swans are white because now we know that is not true mm. so you can never be like this is just the case because this is what we can observe you always have to like well it could be that there's just something we haven't observed yet and i think that's that is both the beauty and also the curse of science. We always have to be like doubting. What is it we have actually yeah, confirmed yeah. now? Could there be something we haven't? And I think it really goes well in with this whole panspermia. Like we don't know until we figure it out. Like, and even then we still have to doubt it. Like, oh, who sent the first meteor? Uh, meteor, if, <laughs> if that is, becomes the case. Like, and I remember yeah. when you said like, oh, we have to talk about this panspermia. I was like, oh, they're, they're, I've heard a bit about it. It's like sending these uh, like, uh, a comet would strike down and they would have organisms on they would then live on like but where did the first life come from right <laughs> like always yeah. questioning things so yeah yeah but i'm glad you you mentioned uh, panspermia because this might be a bit of a rabbit hole actually <laughs> I, I was hoping to get back yeah <laughs> uh, i, I want to say uh, if if our listeners want to get more into this epigenetics i am um, I've just kept scanning uh, the Wikipedia say, page and there are some uh, mechanisms that can produce the changes that they talk about and it's called DNA methylation and histone modification. Now, if anybody wants to look that up and become an expert and hit us up on Twitter, do it. I, I want to do that. <laughs> at Wedology Podcast P. And who knows, maybe we'll dive this down into this uh, at a later point. But right. maybe we should try to keep a, a bit on track because it's yeah. going to be a long one today. Exactly. Um, <laughs> anyway, if we talk panspermia and life um, on Earth could originate from Mars, which we've just agreed as the experts we are, that it could. Uh, that begs the question, when we know that life can survive in the vacuum of space, is there life on Mars now? That's Are you asking question. me? You. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is there life on Mars? Oh, no. No, no, no. I, I, see, I already see the depth of it, this rabbit hole here because, oh, my God, there are so many theories out there of, of whether there is life on Mars and whether there's not. Because, you, you of course, you've heard of the face of Mars and the pyramids on Mars. And uh, you've, you may have seen, like, there are some... You can look them up. Uh, there's like tubes on Mars. Some say they've seen pictures where there are like tubes going under the surface. And there's this Russian boy 
now now we are going out to like conspiracy theories here uh but hang yeah. on with me listeners it's it, it is exciting but take it for what it is it's just exciting uh this russian boy who apparently remembered a past life and his past life was as a martian okay okay you still with me and he was talking about how he was part of this uh, huge atomic war and they basically blasted the entire planet with atomic weapons and only a few of the martians actually survived and then dug underground and yeah like looking up uh i'm not gonna talk a lot about him because i think it's just exciting i don't really know if i believe it's like yeah it, it seems quite far-fetched but try and look it up it's really exciting it might just be a russian stunt uh and again it's in russian they could say anything i have no idea what they're saying if it's not vodka then i don't know oh so. <laughs> yeah and in these times mm. i would like to apologize to all the russian listeners that oh sorry such... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um anyway uh, maybe this kid uh, from Russia is someone we can file under needs more research for now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but there's like, he went underground. So no one have heard from him since his uh, oh. late teens, right? So that was like, yeah, it's it's not confirmable in any way. And But if you're into that, like, like I am, sometimes I'll just stick down that rabbit hole. Just go in there uh, looking up. Uh, Russian, Martian boy. I'm sure you'll find it. Um, but yeah, but so, I kind of so, I wanna hmm? I wanna get back to my question. Yeah, so is Ma- there life on Mars now? Yes or no? No, I don't. I don't think so. Really, like no, not not in the sense that we maybe there are some frozen organisms like the movie Life with the uh, with my I favorite I hope it's actor. not like the movie Life. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, now's the time when I'm going to tell you a, a, a little story. Um, do you know um, about something called, I think it's called labeled release? Um, it's a life detection experiment. Um, yes, no? Maybe. I have heard of some life detection experiments, but I'm, I don't, haven't heard that title. So please go on. I have no idea what it is. <sighs> This is, um, you take a breath, uh, do you know what a breath is? It's a, it's a sort of a, a thick soup with a okay, different okay. nutrients. Is that, like that the same yeah. thing I use in my <laughs> food? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. but it's very nu- nutrition rich. Um, and then you contaminate it with organic matter and it starts bubbling because of the expired gases, what what the organics, uh, you know, exhale in uh, exclamation marks uh, or, yeah. So, uh, and and this this kind of test uh, has a really good, you know, track record. It's like over a thousand different trials with no false positives ever. And even to make sure whenever they detect life with this solution, they heat it up and then the organic life dies and it stops bubbling. So in 1976, NASA ran the Viking space program uh, where they sent uh, robots to Mars. Uh, And some of these robots were doing these LR life detection experiments on Mars. Um, And actually both 
uh, there were two different stations doing this, uh, miles apart on Mars. Both of them had several. Uh, every every time they ran the experiment, they got a, a positive. Like there were bubbles in the broth. Um, they eating it. People were ne- you know negative about it and said, well, it could be a chemical reaction. But they even heated the solutions and the bubbles stopped. Now, NASA then did another test, uh, another kind of test, a uh, laser spectrography or spectronomy or something of uh, the ground, uh, of soil samples. And that was negative. And NASA went with this because it was you know, newer technology. It was uh, laser. It was more trustworthy, they said, than, you know, broth traveled from uh, through space from one planet to another. And they just decided, no, there's no life here. We won't keep looking. And they haven't actually tested for life on Mars since those Viking programs. Later, you find out that this uh, kind of test, the laser spec uh, trauma, spectrometry or spectrography, um, actually heats up the soil samples to you know a high temperature. If there is, I think it's iron oxide present, and we know what is very abundant on the Martian surface since it's red. It's rust, meaning iron. So after they did this test and it proved negative, they said there's no life. Later, we found out that if you do this test on Mars, especially, you'll kill everything organic in that sample before you get any results. Hmm. So now we are left with a test that says no life that we know is wrong. And we're left with another test, actually a bunch of tests, miles apart, that says there is life. A test with never that on Earth does not make false positives. Huh. Wow. Okay. So, <laughs> according to this, my conclusion is there is life on Mars. It may be a microbial, but it's organic. But they built the face on Mars and the pyramids. I'm sure of it. <laughs> Very high. Well, I, I I really don't want to rain on your parade, but <laughs> the face of the pyramids have kind of been, you know, shown to be just uh, rocks. Yeah, uh, but that's, when you take that's the picture sure. from a very, very nice, <laughs> very nice angle. Uh, but there is also um, I actually have a list of uh, of things here that actually, you know, says that there could be. Life on Mars. Uh, Yeah, it's here. Um, A list of things that, uh, you know, circumstantial evidence, not direct evidence, but circumstantial evidence that there could be uh, life on Mars. Mars. Surface water is sufficient to sustain microorganisms uh, on Mars, and it was found by both the Viking Pathfinder Phoenix and Curiosity programs. It says ultraviolet activation of the Martian surface material did not, as initially proposed, cause the LR reaction. This was another, um, you know, uh, theory of why that reaction happened in the broth on Mars with the UV activation. But it did not. A sample taken from under UV shielding was also positive as the other surface samples. There are some complex organics that have been reported uh, by curative scientists, something called uh, kerogen, which could be of biological order. 
uh, origin. They uh, both Phoenix and Curiosity has found evidence that ancient Martian environment may have been habitable. There is an excess of carbon 13 over carbon 12 in the Martian, Martian atmosphere, which uh, means biological activity, which prefers ingesting carbon 12. So if there's no biological activity, of course, there would be more or the same of uh, carbon 13 and 12. Then there is the disequilibrium in the Martian atmosphere. The CO2 in the atmosphere should long ago have been converted to just uh, CO by uh, the sun's UV light. But this means that CO2 is being regenerated. What do we know regenerates CO2? We know uh, organisms like us or microorganisms. Yeah. Um, then there's the fact that microorganism has survived in outer space outside the space station. Um, methane has been me measured in the Martian atmosphere. Uh, again, microbial uh, methanogens, I think it's called, uh, is usually sort of the source of that. And then there's something in the rapid disappearance of methane from the Martian atmosphere requires a sink, and it says possibly supplied by methanotropes that could coexist with methanogens on the Martian surface. And this is just half the list, but I don't think I'll go through the rest of it. But there's a lot of circumstantial evidence telling us that there could be microbial bacterial life on Mars. That, that is quite interesting. Yeah, I was hoping for more of a, you know. <laughs> but I don't know what to say about it. <laughs> Damn. I've just told you there's life on Mars. I know, I know. Yeah, but for are, some reason it, are, it doesn't seem like We're not alone much of, in the universe. <laughs> no, but then again, it doesn't seem like that much of surprise when it's like microorganisms because the, the way I understand it, like you, we have found, um, again, on Earth, we, we found microorganisms in, in the weirdest places where we thought, to begin with, we thought life couldn't be there. For example, I think, is it um, not lava pools, but the, these uh, very hot pools um we were like okay so this is too hot for any living mm. being to live and then they find bacteria there like okay yeah. so apparently some life forms can actually exist there so especially when it gets to microorganisms it seems like insane that they can survive in many many places there's this little uh microorganism as well which they are currently researching because it can apparently live through some very extreme cold temperatures um it's the water bear yes the water bear i was just like oh it's something about a bear and like the water bear <laughs> i'm like i'm mind blown that thing is like insane uh yeah i think there's actually a, a rick and morty episode where they where they meet a water bear <laughs> yeah yeah that's also do. a family guy episode where they meet uh patrick stewart water bear oh yes no it is family guy yeah it's family guy where they meet them Oh God, yeah, I love that episode. <laughs> yeah, but th there are some cool organisms. So, in that sense, it doesn't really surprise me that that can actually happen. Uh, but it is cool to know that there are actually. Yeah, and and it, and it also begs an interesting question: uh, if if we get our hands on these, you know, 
organisms because we are going to NASA is going to test very rigorously on Mars because they are sending people there, and and microorganisms could be a danger to both uh, them and all of us if they come back with them. Um, yeah, but let's not so, let's not take them back. We we saw what they did to Ryan Reynolds, and and like I don't want to see that again. No, I understand. <laughs> maybe we should just send Ryan Reynolds. This yeah. time. <laughs> All right, <laughs> I'm sure he'll be up for it. <laughs> we'll give him a anyway, green suit or something. <laughs> if we find these um, uh, microbial life, and we can see that they share our genetic code, then it's kind of interesting. Did life originate here and go to Mars, or did it originate uh, on Mars and go to Earth? Yeah. We'll probably find that answer pretty quick because we can track the ancestors. Um, but of course, there, there has to have been an evolution going on on Mars, Mars at the same time as on Earth. Mm. Yes, that that is quite interesting. Yeah, I would I would love to go there, but I've also seen the movie Life. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, I've also seen The Martian. I have so I would know how to to grow potatoes on Mars. I probably should see that. Yeah. Did you know? Just a side note. Did you know that it was nominated for a Golden Globe uh, as a comedy? No. What? <laughs> I mean, it does have <laughs> yeah. Matt Damon, and 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 he can be funny at times. Yeah, but it was uh, it was a huge joke uh, that night at the Golden Globes actually that it was nominated as a comedy. So, wow. I don't know. I, I think it just, you know, it was a good movie and they needed to nominate it somehow. And it is kind of funny when you think about the premise of Matt Damon growing potatoes on Mars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, damn. Yeah. Okay, now, now you know there's life on Mars. Of course, we don't know that for certain, but there's pretty much a lot of circumstantial evidence and actually a scientific test that was proven to be positive what i have to say why i'm not 100 certain after all of this is because i have um, a big amount of trust in nasa and uh, our scientists in general and i'm pretty sure they know a lot more about all this stuff than i do and what i've done is an internet search but what what they've done is fly a robot to mars to pick up samples do the study and then make a conclusion so the scales are not entirely even on this. Uh, they, they, they are probably right. But it's an inter interesting thought. And there's a reason why they're going back to test more. Yeah. So uh, on that note, as we're going sort of like grounding again, going back to Earth, we can say that. I did quickly look up just uh, tubes on Mars because I think that was what they were called. Uh, yeah. And there was an article, just one of the first searchers, debunking it. They were like, okay. Let's, let's see what that is and and it actually like they they had a more close-up picture from the one i saw many years ago we were like oh that actually does look like tubes and then they had like a close-up and it's more like it looks more like dunes on mars but the, the thing is it, it looks crazy because they're like they they are in a sequence and yeah. they they sort of form a tube and just goes in the same frequency so it, it looks like on a distance it, it looks like a tube with uh, rings uh, sort of 
holding the construction yeah, right, but it's just it looks really much just like dunes that just happen to have this very weird sequence. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm seeing um I'm looking at a, a picture right now of a, it's called a pit crater chain. Uh, yeah. And if I need to be, you know, the devil's advocate on this, um, I would say that there is probably an underwater or has been an underwater river yeah. that has eroded a lot of this. And this is just sinkholes following the river because we see a lot of sinkholes on Earth too. Yeah. So this is just, uh, again, an unqualified guess, but it, it does look like that to my eyes but who knows it could be there's a giant dune like worm <laughs> another reason not to go to mars <laughs> yeah <laughs> another reason to send ryan reynolds yeah <laughs> wow but it is it is interesting yeah uh, and and i i like previous to this podcast i also told you i, I looked a bit into the fermi paradox i'm not going to mm. go very deeply into it because it sort of goes along the lines of why haven't we seen life yet, like intelligent life like us? But right now we're talking yeah. about microorganisms and all that. But if our listens, listeners haven't heard about the Fermi paradox, it is basically, if you take a statistical analysis of how many stars there are, and so as I understand, that's also a Kurzgesagt uh, video. Look them up. Uh, they, I think they have three videos that basically goes into that topic of uh, of alien life and and why we might not have seen them yet. Of course, there's always the conspiracy theories about, well, they did visit us and they landed in Roswell and uh, the Bob Lazar documentary on Netflix, which is this guy who claims to have worked at Area 51 and seen alien spacecraft and all that. So there's like a lot of theories that maybe we actually have seen alien life. But anyways, back to the Fermi paradox. It's if we take the statistics of it, they say that there's there's so many, I think it's, okay, I'm just going here. I think, was it 400 billion stars in our Milky Way or something like that? Anyways, it was like 10,000 stars to one grain of sand on Earth, something like that. Um, yeah. I, th I think that was the number. You can look it up. Anyways, it's, it's a huge number. And... If you start calculating how many planets on average there would be and how many of those would likely be in the Goldilocks zone. So the Goldilocks zone is where we are in our solar system, which is where uh, water can be fluid. So you think fluid water means the likelihood of life. So in the Goldilocks zones, there might be planets and they will be habitable, at least for us. And so if you take that those numbers and say, okay, what are how many might there actually be then? Then we are talking millions of habitable planets just in our galaxy. And then you, of course, can say, okay, so what about other galaxies? Like that's that even increases the number way, way more. But why haven't we seen them then? Because our galaxy is very old already. Um, of course, there was a time where it wasn't very habitable, but it has been for quite a long time. So other life forms could have evolved before us and advance further than us, why haven't we seen them then? And then it goes on to talk about the theories of these filters, like maybe there is something that stops many civilizations. Maybe it is that at some point they develop nuclear weapons and they destroy themselves. Maybe it is that all life forms eventually uh, burn out all the resources on the planet and then kill themselves. Or maybe it's 
something else. Maybe the advanced races just wait for a uh, civilization to to get to a certain point and then they exterminate them or something like that. So there are many reasons like why haven't we seen them? Maybe they're just hiding. Maybe they get to the point where they say, okay, uh, enough is enough. We're just gonna uh, build our own little matrix and then play video games for our entire life. So many, many theories. Go look up the videos. It's very interesting. Yeah, it, and it, it correlates uh, very well with the Drake equation, um, oh, yeah, which is yeah. this pro pro probabilistic uh, argumentation for how, how many uh, civilizations, uh, communicative, communicative uh, civilizations that are in our Milky Way galaxy. And with the, the most conservative estimates in the statistical model, you get 1,000. That's 1,000 civilizations able to communicate on our level in this civilization uh, or in this uh, galaxy if you take the most uh, you know uh, generous numbers and put into this equation you get 100 million communicative civilizations in our galaxy so it's be it's between 1000 and 100 million potentially uh, friendly or non-friendly aliens out there but uh, I, I would say in regard to this fermi paradox of why we haven't seen them uh, there could be you know a million reasons the most scary one is that there is a technology technological cap meaning that you you it's simply not possible to travel to other stars yeah there's one the first uh, communication we send out uh, that was uh, strong enough to go to space uh, was uh, from Nazi Germany. <laughs> yeah. Some someone could have seen that and just turned it off and put a big red flag on Earth and said, "Don't go there." <laughs> <laughs> They're all Nazis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and also, there's the fact that some of them just might be so much more advanced than us. If if we see an ant hill, it's it's not like we're going to try to communicate with the ants. Um, oh, I've I've tried that. It's it's very boring. Yeah, <laughs> but but it, it's the same because if if they if they look at us, and we're so inferior that they can't see that we're actually actually intelligent, they'll just ignore us like we'll we ignore an anthill. And there is uh, you know actually a lot of uh, theories stating that ants are, are much uh, higher developed than we think they are. For example, the, uh, the entire uh, North America and uh, Eurasic colony, it's, it's one ants from the same colony that cover the entire Northern Hemisphere. That's one huge network. And that, that has to require some uh, sort of you know communication and coordination. Maybe they're not intelligent as we think them intelligent, but it's just an example of an impressive species that we don't see because we're so far above them technologically. Yeah, I I did hear, and I, again I'm just using my expertise on ants here. Uh, of course, <laughs> for what it is. It's a great thing about being a podcaster. You become an, ex an instant expert. expert on everything. Exactly. Yeah. So. Um... For ants, I've I've heard that they actually apparently have some sort of agriculture and they wage wars on each other. So we, I mean, it's not 
it's not far-fetched to actually realize that ants are actually waging war on each other. They will fight other ants from other colonies, etc. But having agriculture, that that is something we were like, okay, so the human race started evolving when they they found agriculture. Uh, I don't yeah. guess they are, they're not like plowing the earth or something, but I think they might actually be cultivating plants to like uh, live from them. That that could be. Again, yeah, I am not an expert on ants. I just heard it at some point and we're like, wow, is that is that the case? So if anyone out yeah. there is actually an, an ant expert, please, please enlighten me. Yeah, and also people uh, think that squids uh, or octopus uh, might be aliens because they're also hyper-intelligent, but we have no way of communicating with them. Um, so, but maybe this is another rabbit hole and maybe <laughs> yeah. know, something for another podcast, uh, ants or intelligent animals um, in the weirdology universe. Yeah. But if we have, if, to, if, if we look a bit deeper on this, you know, uh, we've talked about the natural, uh, natural panspermia. The directed panspermia is actually, to me, an interesting thought that a race of uh, beings has seeded us from their own, you know, DNA yeah. or f with uh, microbes from their own planet just to see what would evolve on, on this new world. I'm also a huge fan of Stargate, uh, in which the ancients were actually human beings, the first evolution of human beings. So this tickles my fancy in the right way. But um, is it possible that we, we actually have met aliens? That maybe they actually created us. Yeah, I think about maybe we are science experiments. Like there's uh, a huge fence around this, uh, this uh, little... Um, solar system of ours because we're an experiment uh, races from all different kinds of galaxies or solar systems made a science pact let's see what happens if we do this fits right in with the conspiracy of the dark side of the moon it's it's very fortunate that the moon is always facing us with the same side yeah so so if you wanted to observe us Building uh, uh, something on on the dark side of the moon would would be a perfect place to do it. Well, China actually did take pictures of the dark side of the moon, or was it last year or the year before that? And I I haven't seen much from it. I I tried to look at some pictures, but it it just looked like the moon. But then again, you can never truly trust anything. And I'm not I'm not dissing the Chinese here. Like I'm saying, any anyone could. Uh, take I'm, I'm glad because <laughs> yeah, both exactly. Chinese and the Russians in one podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, 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 no offense there. It's like uh, I, I was very excited when when they uh, when they launched their uh, experiment there and was like, this is gonna be so epic. Now we're get, finally gonna figure out what is there. And then it was nothing. I'm like, oh, I, 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 I want to believe there is something. I'm, I'm Scolder in this case, right? I'm just no Mulder. Yeah, sorry, I'm Mulder in this yeah. case. Just I want to believe. I want to believe. So, so maybe, yeah. maybe they were tampered with. We don't know. Uh, but that that well, has nothing to do with Chinese people. That could just as well no. have been, uh, yeah, anyone. Yeah, well, if you'll allow me to put on my tinfoil hat for a moment. Um, yeah. 
a lot of people are <laughs> a lot of people are getting uh, and, and are able to afford now pretty decent telescopes um, yes. and uh, amateur astronomers are discovering more and more stuff uh, than ever before yes and suddenly uh, we have this company sending up the starlink satellites which is going to place like a million satellites around the earth cluttering everything Oh yes. This is something I would do if I knew that there would there was an increasing chance that someone on earth normal person just looking at the sky with the lens would see an alien race that I was trying to keep secret. Yeah, then clutter the atmosphere with Yeah, because if you see something moving they can just say well it's the Starlink satellites. Yeah. Also so, there's this uh, thing like uh there's an issue with putting up a lot of uh, satellites because they can actually become a hindrance for us to later leave the planet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, flying through a bullet storm. Exactly. Uh, if, yeah. if we can't bring them down. Anyway, I'm pu- I'm taking off my tinfoil hat once more. Yeah. And uh, saying that, of course, Elon Musk is not hiding aliens. Uh, he it's is one. just. i have uh i believe that it's going it's just going to be a yeah right a nice internet solution for the entire world without the expense of having to dig cables everywhere yeah and then of course there's going to be countries spying on each other and on, on me using his satellites but they already have Google and Apple for that. So exactly, okay. yeah, like yeah, they they can't they, they know everything about us right now. It's yeah. like oh, fuck it, yeah. yeah. Um, but I actually, I, actually, I bet somebody is actually listening to this podcast right now, laughing his ass off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. At Google, exactly. Uh, I'll I'll actually go into the tinfoil hat just just a little bit. It's it's something we've we've discussed that maybe we'll do a podcast on it at some other time. But now that we mentioned this uh, idea of an alien race actually creating uh, life, then that actually taps very much into the whole ancient alien series, uh, oh, which covers yeah. people like uh, what's his name? Of course, I can't remember it right now. That's typical. I'll look it up later. Eric von Daniken. Yes, that's the guy. Yeah. And there are many others. Uh, and there's like a lot of theories, but we'll wait with that uh, to later. But part of that theory is that if you take the Sumerian texts and look into their religion, their gods were actually walking among them. They were called the Anunnaki, which translated means those from heaven came. And they described their gods as being like living between them. So they were not uh, ethereal gods like... Uh, for example, the Norse gods were like, oh, they're just up there in Valhalla, or, or for example, the Egyptian gods, they were also like, not there, or the Greek gods, etc. But these gods were actually living among the people, and they say that they actually created humans. They created uh, humans in their like, and so you can always already hear it, like the Bible actually got a lot of inspiration from there. the The story of the Noah's Ark is also. Uh, also comes from the Sumerian text. So their idea is that they actually created the humans. And people like Eric von Daniken have been looking into this and trying to figure out what exactly it means. Because nowadays we can sort of look at them and say, okay, they weren't actually gods, they were astronauts. But of course, at that time, 
we would consider them gods because they were highly advanced compared to us. And even if they created us, why wouldn't we be like, oh my god, you, you, you oh my god, exactly, you are my god, right? <laughs> uh, you created me. And they would create them, according to people like Eric von Däniken, to be a sort of slave race. So we were created genetically as a slave race to, I think, gather gold. I think that's the theory. And that that's also... That's the gold. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and so uh, that also explains, for example, the missing link. Like, why did we suddenly have a, a skip in the evolution? Where did that happen? But that would be explained if you suddenly uh, created us genetically with maybe some DNA from some... Uh, from some primates and then yeah, there's a there's a yeah. bit of issues with 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 that one statement uh that i might delve into uh in just a minute but uh, i agree the ancient aliens is an um extremely exciting topic exactly. uh, and an interesting theory um i remember reading uh, one of the sumerian texts also a translator of course uh, that described what what seems to be a, a, actually an, a nuclear detonation a missile yeah. because they they decided to challenge the guards and go to war with them and the the guards just wiped out an entire settlement or city with a nuclear weapon or what is described as a nuclear explosion with the mushroom cloud and everything like that and everything was dead for miles for yeah and, years and for hundreds yeah. of, hundreds of years yeah uh, just uh, according to the missing link there there is no missing link anymore it's it's a talking point for people who don't believe in evolution because we found so many steps in between that in the scientific community, there's no longer any missing link. We can follow the line directly. It's just people who doubt it will always say, no matter how many you find, what's between these two? Oh, nothing? Or you don't know? Then it's not correct then you have a missing link, but there's no missing link anymore. Okay. Just to update your uh, uh, your knowledge on that uh, particular part of our conspiracy theories. Cool. Well, uh, ancient aliens is now on the list of things we need to talk about in another podcast. Yeah. Um, I'm 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 looking here at the you know the podcast notes of uh, what what we're going to be talking about today and we've talked about a lot of it there's one thing that or a couple of things that we might not have uh, touched upon yet uh, and that's you know in continuation of the life on Mars part or how did we get to Earth or the direct panspermia from another race? And that is life in the universe, uh, other places. It it seems silly to ask, but if I don't ask questions, it's just a podcast of two guys, you know, sitting and not talking. Being so. experts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but do, do you think, now? because I need your expertise once again, do you think there's life in the universe? Yeah, I, not life, life, because we found out there is in on Mars, maybe but intelligent life, intelligent life. Yeah, I think there is. Yeah. Again, I just okay. think it's it's unlikely that that we would be completely alone. I agree. Um, I agree one hundred percent. I've actually found a list of um, planets, exoplanets that 
we have found that are uh, in the Goldilocks zone, the habitable zone. Uh, and this is with a super conservative uh, outlook, shrinking the habitable zone as much as possible and looking, you know, mostly for planets that are Earth-like, not other forms of uh, life. And there is uh, on this list, which is of course the most updated in the world since it is from Wikipedia. There is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen besides Earth. And the closest one is actually in uh, Proxima Centauri, the closest uh, star system to us. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, seventeen potential planets that we have already found in the short time we've been searching and, one of and them if you is in our neighborhood yeah it's it's actually the guy next door yeah so but it it makes sense if you look uh, if you look at it because in in our solar system there are three planets in the habitable zone there are uh, venus there's venus earth and mars earth 100% has life. Um, Mars has a small atmosphere, does have um, the uh, water, does have ha has had running water, maybe still has. And we've done the experiments we talked about that shows that there might actually be organic life on Mars. And then there is Venus, which is basically hell. It's it's a planet with an atmosphere, but with a runaway uh, greenhouse effect. So it's extremely hot. As it rains, uh, a lot of tectonic activity and volcanic eruptions. Basically, yeah. there could be life, uh, but it would not be life as we know it on our planet. But it still has an atmosphere. So in our Goldilocks zone, there are actually three planets that can support life in some form or the other. So why should it only be this solar system? Exactly. That that just seems so, unlikely. Yeah, so why shouldn't our neighbor also have one? We're in the same, you know, neighborhood of the galaxy. Um yeah. And they found a, a planet over there, so uh, I don't see it. And even if we look even deeper in our own uh, solar system, there's also places like Titan and Europa, which have uh, seas flowing water under the ice, the ice cape. There's like a kilometer or two kilometers of, of ice on the top, and then it's just a sea underneath. underneath yeah, That's scary. Yeah, and li li but still. liquid water actually means life everywhere we have found liquid water. So, yeah, even uh, like in uh, in uh, under uh, water cavern systems, which have sort of been closed off from the rest of Earth. There you found yeah. life as well. So exactly. And w if we're talking panspermia, if uh, a meteor hits a planet like Earth, like it has done in the past, with enough force and these uh, debris are uh, flung out into the universe. When something explodes from a point, it explodes circular. If it's a direct hit or if it's a you know a sideways hit, it it explodes in one direction. But the point is that it spreads out. It covers a huge area, 
um, especially if it if, if it goes into space and there's nothing to stop it. It, it just kept, keeps moving and the debris move farther and farther apart. And some of them are going to hit the other objects in the solar system. Exactly. So life from Earth could also be from Europa or Titan, or maybe we have octopi, or what's it called in plural, uh, whales and dolphins and stuff like that on uh, Europa and Titan. Being a little more speculative again here, uh, but but not unlikely though. Yeah. And, no, it's and, and it would be difficult what, what, to figure out until we actually get there or get a yeah yeah sort of rover but or something. But when we're talking about life in the universe and we're talking about life in our galaxy and panspermia, it, it's it's something that you need to be aware of that there are actually three planets that can sustain life and at least two moons yeah. in this solar system alone. So why should there be? And, and what we found so far is just planets. There's about twice or four times as many moons out there as there are planets. Well, it looks like we're at the end of the podcast today. Uh, we've talked a lot. It was a long one, I think. It feels like we've been talking for a long time anyway. We actually have. Uh, to all our listeners, please uh, follow us at uh, uh, Twitter, our Twitter handle at WeirdologyP. And if you'd like to contact us directly, you can uh, contact us at our Gmail at WeirdologyPodcast at gmail.com. And it's W E I R D O L O G Y. P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Weirdologypodcast at gmail.com. Please write us. We will respond to everyone as long as it's not hate mail. Uh, I promise you, Mikkel has no problem with either the Russian or the Chinese. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So, but please contact us and uh, maybe we'll give you a shout out in a podcast. At someday, and if you give us ideas, we will for sure mention you and thank you for what you've done. So hit us up. Anyway, um, that's it for today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it, and uh, we've enjoyed it, and we're looking forward to having many more moments speaking to each other and hopefully hearing from all you guys. Do you have anything to add, Michael? Nope, not at all. Okay, then goodbye, everybody. See you Bye. later.